0: Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to The Conference Room. Okay. Welcome everybody to the podcast. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by an old friend of mine, uh, Mr. George Muldoon. Uh, George is vice president of strategic alliances at Hyper. Uh, Before that, he was vice president of global sales at Bromium and uh, has also had leadership positions at uh, cybersecurity organizations such as Komodo, Venify, Winmagic, RSA, and many more. I'm delighted to say that George is uh, joining us. George, good afternoon.
1: Hey, good afternoon, Simon. Kind of, You're dating me, but I, I'm going to say that that's more experience than anything.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it was interesting to see that uh, you actually graduated from uh, college after I did. So uh, uh, I think I'm probably a little older than you, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank
1: you. That was very kind. Thank you.
0: Good stuff. Okay, so maybe just give us a little bit of your own sort of backstory and the people who want to emulate somebody who has had the kind of career that you've had. Uh, Perhaps you can tell us just a little bit about your backstory and how you got from where you were just sort of starting out in sales to where you are now.
1: Sure, happy to do that. So I, as you can probably tell by my accent, I grew up in the Boston area and uh, I went to Bentley University, which is outside of Boston. It's depending on the year, the number one or two business school in America. And believe it or not, when I went there, I originally wanted to be an accountant because I had heard they make a lot of money. So got there after my first accounting class, realized there's no way I'm ever gonna be an accountant. This is extremely boring. Uh, I'm more of a people person. But as you know, you, know, and, you know, especially back 25 or so years ago, there was no sales major, right? So I ended up getting attracted to the marketing major. I got that with a minor in English and then couldn't find a job. So I ended up realizing that I was going to have to evolve my plan. I found a small ad in the Boston Globe in the mid-90s for a salesperson's job and of course, you know, my first thought was, use car salesmen, you know, these kind of shyster- type people. but I, I just was self-taught, really. I got the job, due in part to I left my sport coat, the only sport coat I had at the time at, after the interview, and they had to call me back. Uh, <laughs> but you know, that ended up being a seven-year journey. It was a 10-person company when I joined it. It ended up being about 175 people by the time I had left seven years later. And, you know, I learned from some really key mentors that was really critical uh, in the early part of my career. And it helped springboard uh, my whole career into uh, sales and the cybersecurity market from there. Okay, great stuff. And and how did you transition
0: from being a salesperson to being a sales leader?
1: So I... Also, just kind of backed into that, uh, as as it happens in life, a lot of you know the the steps you take almost happen by accident. Uh, I had taken a job at RSA Security as a as an account executive, and my boss at the time, no sooner did I get hired, said, "Hey, we're looking to you know kind of go after this SMB section of the market," and that didn't really excite me too much at first. But then you know he told me, "Oh, you know, we'll give you more salary, and you'll be able to make commissions on your whole team, and you can go." hire eight people. So that was my first experience really building a team, hiring. I made tons of mistakes, but I did make some pretty darn good hires. And I was actually really proud to say that of the eight hires I made, five of them went to work at the company for over five years. So that's a pretty good track record. You know, And I, I'm big on metrics. So even back then I started just a punch list of, you know, what makes a good candidate? You know, and I, I based that on some of the better hires I had made. And conversely, what are the things the red flags you should look for and i've actually kept a journal a running journal uh over the last 20 years or so of these pros and cons that you know you kind of have to take a metrics approach to hiring because everybody sounds personable everybody sounds nice you know good guy good girl you know girl whatever but you've really got to have a methodology when it comes to hiring good people. And even with that, you know, you're never going to get 100%. So you've got to also have onboarding metrics to make sure that if you did make a hiring mistake, you can correct that mistake as quickly as possible without, you know, hurting the individual or the company.
0: So it's it's interesting, because on a podcast that that, uh, we did recently, um, I was talking to a doctor who's kind of scaled a number of medical Companies And one of the points that he made was he kind of opined, I mean, I'm going to kind of paraphrase and almost take it to a little bit of an extreme, but he basically said that not quite interviewing is a waste of time, but nobody comes into an interview and says, I'm not a particularly hard worker or I'm not a, you know, um, I'm just here to kind of punch in and punch out. Everyone's gonna say, yeah, I'm a super hard worker. And everyone's gonna say all the things you wanna hear, or they think you wanna hear an interview. So what clearly having been able to hire so successfully, even in uh, your first kind of, kind of stepping up to the plate, what are the key things that you look for when you're hiring and how do you find them at interview?
1: That's a really good question. I'm not sure if the podcast is long enough to get too deep into it, but there are some core things that I do look for. Number 1, I'm looking for somebody who's a problem solver because no matter how smart somebody is, no matter how, you know, well they communicate, especially when you're talking about a cybersecurity startup or any startup for that matter. You've got to be able to overcome obstacles yourself without, you know, necessarily a large team around you. So I look for ability to solve problems and I actually bring up in interviews, you know, certain scenarios and ask them, you know, what would you do? And I look for the people who are self-sufficient, you know, obviously not people who are just renegade self-sufficient, but people who aren't going to, you know, require a whole bunch of hand-holding beyond the onboarding phase and quickly, you know, get onboarded to the point where, you know, I think six months is pretty much the limit for when I expect somebody, you know, from, from the point they get hired to the point where I'm like, okay, they're, they should be operating at full capacity and I've got metrics along the way to look for. So problem solving ability. Second thing I look for is intelligence. I have this technique that I use during interviews that I look to be corrected at least three times during an hour long interview. So I will actually say something that I know is not correct and expect that person to have the nerve and the intelligence therefore to correct me. It's amazing how many people don't pass that and ultimately when you get to the end of interviewing a pool of candidates where you know there's a whole bunch of people involved in the interview process and they'll say well i really like this this person and I will bring up, well, that you know, they, they didn't really correct me on this or on that. And it turns out most of the time, if I end up, you know, if it's a situation where I'm part of a hiring team, it's not my hire and those people get hired, they don't work out. So why do you think that is? You know, I, I really think it's because you have to make sure that intelligence gene is there. Uh, that's really, you know, the, the only thing I can say about it. It's it's just something innate that everybody needs to have, at least in my the business of sales. Mm. To be able to think quickly on their feet, to be able to challenge customers, right? You don't want to just let the customer drive everything. You have to make sure that you're leading the customer. And if you don't have that intelligence and that confidence, really, to take the bull by the horns in a conversation or in a sales campaign and say, you know what? I'd hate to see you make this big mistake. How about this way, right? And I think a a customer who's genuinely interested in what you're doing or what you're selling uh, would appreciate that. You know, I do. I appreciate people who are professionals who are trying to, you know, provide me a solution. And, you know, especially in a case where I I don't have all the answers. So I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You also referred to there being a few things that you look to make sure aren't there, you know, some kind of red flags. How would you maybe give a couple of examples of those? And again, how you would identify that uh, in an interview?
1: Yeah, so I'm big on honesty and transparency. So you're way behind in an interview with me if something doesn't check out in your LinkedIn, or if I back channel you and I find out that you worked somewhere and it's not listed on your LinkedIn or your resume and you've tried to kind of slosh over it. Look, hum- humans are gonna make mistakes. I would much rather see that four to six month stop on your journey in your resume or in your LinkedIn profile and an explanation as to why and what, what were the lessons learned, right? Everybody's made those mistakes. I've made those mistakes. If you looked at my LinkedIn, I've got a nine month stop, right? So, but there's reasons for it. And as long as the candidate can explain it, you know, that's good. That number one, you know, honesty, transparency, it says a lot about somebody's character. That is the biggest red flag that I look for, because if somebody's not going to be honest, they, you know, in their past, they're not going to be honest going forward. You know, it's like, I got away with it. And who knows what they could do, right? They could be interviewing with your competitors in six months or sharing trade secrets, all sorts of things that could go awry. And it's just not worth it. There's too much uh, at stake with with every hire at a startup in particular to deal with somebody who doesn't have integrity, character, and honesty. So that's high, high, high on the list for me. Right.
0: Okay. And once somebody's joined you, if they are kind of teetering between success and not quite making it, What steps do you put into place to hopefully get them over the line to be a success?
1: So, yeah, there's two parts to that. So, it's kind of like a marriage, right? Where there's two equal parties. It's not on just one person, you know, husband or wife, or, you know, any two parties getting together these days to make the marriage work. It's up to both parties. So, it's incumbent upon the company and me as the hiring manager to make sure that I've provided the tools. And the onboarding process and the support to avail you know myself of this you know opportunity so that they can be successful. So you gotta make sure you look in the mirror and understand, you know, do I have a good onboarding program? Because if you don't, and people who you're hiring don't succeed at a high you know degree of effectiveness, that could be on you, quite frankly. Assuming you do have that good onboarding process, you've got the metrics, you've got the support structure, the system to make sure you're availing yourself and all resources in the company for this person to be successful, then you've got to definitely have, I put in place a monthly bit of measures that I look for. First month is pretty simple. You know, person is basically acclimated themselves to the company, to the systems, you know, they've got their business cards, basically the foundation of, of getting, you know, they've made some initial conversations with um, relationships they may have in the industry that they proclaimed they had during the interview process. (laughs) Uh, And then it continues to go more into, okay, by month two, have have you created an opportunity? Or two, uh, month three, has one of those opportunities advanced? Have you created two more? And so it just becomes really a numbers game in addition to making sure that, you know, they're taking advantage of the support structure, right? You want somebody who's a problem solver, as I said before, But you also don't want somebody who's kind of a renegade and just wants to do it all their own way and on their own. You want to see people adopt the processes uh, and the program that you have in place. So those are really, at a real high level, uh, the things that I look for. And by month three, if I don't see this person hitting at least half of those objectives, We're having some really hard conversations. You know, is this really the best job for you? If it's not, that's okay. Tell me now, right? I'd rather end this now and backfill really quickly than let this go on another three to four to five, six months and then have to, you know, let person go nine months into it and then i lost almost a year right Mm, assuming a year and a half because it's going to take another six to seven months to get the next person ramped up so having those really frank discussions is okay and then you know the response you're going to get one of two ways one is yes i agree with you george i don't think this is the right place for me or two no this is the right place for me how can you help me where i'm not succeeding great no problem like that's the response i want to hear from somebody who's struggling to hit those metrics and the onboarding, you know, six to seven months, depending on the job. So that that's uh, pretty much it. Great. Now it's it's it's
0: interesting that um, so much of what you're of what you're talking about is so kind of pan industry. I mean, your background, as we were saying before, is very much centered in the cyber security industry, yeah. and that's obviously what how we know each other. But so much of what you're talking about seems to be almost attitudinal, as opposed to as opposed to industry specific. You know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. You can be honest. It doesn't matter what industry you can be in. You can be a problem solver or intelligent. So right. I think what, what you're talking about is, is something that really anybody can learn from and can absorb.
1: Well, actually, yeah, the fourth pillar of things that I look for during the interview process is subject matter expertise, right? And so they have to have some industry knowledge. But I'll tell you, like in, you know, if any of your listeners are in cybersecurity, they'll understand where I'm coming from. Cybersecurity is basically the sum of a whole bunch of individual siloed parts, it really is. So for example, uh, you know, right now I'm in the what's called authentication space. Authentication sometimes gets lumped in under identity. It's being decoupled right now. So authentication is completely being decoupled from identity. And that's even further decoupled from where, you know, I came from at my, my last company where I was a global VP of sales at Bromium, which is an endpoint company, right? So the problems that the endpoint protection vendors solve are very different and functionally different than an authentication or an identity vendor versus even a third one, like, a you know, insider threat type company. So you have to, you know, cybersecurity is very, you know, generic. It's very, very different. Like I know some hiring managers, good friends of mine, who work in authentication, who would not even look at somebody who worked in insider threat because it's so different. So it really depends. I'm not. So I actually rank that 10%. So that's the other thing, right? These aren't 25, 25, 25, 25 pillars. They're more like 35, 25, 20, 10. And I don't know. if you can. Yeah, I'm just going off the my head. I mean, that, that may be 90%, but uh, I think First you got
0: yeah, my job. All right. Great stuff. Okay. And uh, if anybody wanted to learn more about Hyper or about George Muldoon, uh, where do they go look for it?
1: So the best place to start is hyper.com, H-Y-P-R.com. So our business is all about uh, going passwordless. It's actually a really exciting part of authentication. Gartner's called it you know, the most promising technology space for the 2020s. So I think it's a great place to be. You can always look me up on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak with any other hiring manager or any other uh, sales professional, anybody. Uh, Happy to give advice. You know, I've gotten to where I'm at today by getting really good advice from some really good people. So very happy to always pay it forward. Great stuff. George Muldoon, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure, Simon. Cheers, thanks.
0: Coming up next week on The Conference Room.
1: Because every time in my life, a great speaker has like been on stage, they've inspired me, and somehow, boom, like my life goes in a different direction. And over and over and over again, it just keeps coming back to inspiring presentations and storytelling. It just it hits me in the heart.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so that more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter at Simon Lader. Or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to The Conference Room. Until next time, keep talking.